sellers had to adjust for an increase in pricing due to inflation. Nearly 7 in 10 growers say it's costing them 10% more to sell their trees this year. They're a little bit more expensive, but with fuel costs and things like that, um, that's to be expected. Trees in the past five years have went up, probably like doubled from the past. So, and we just have to bring, bring that along over to the, uh, the consumer. Today I am driven by the same purpose that I felt when I arrived in Congress. But now it is time to pursue my passion in a new arena. While I'll be departing the house at the end of this year, I will never ever give up fighting for this country that I love so much. To all those who have supported me through the years, especially our constituents, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. First of all, I'm guided by the science. Uh, and I can tell you, honestly, there is zero politics or ideology in any decision that the President Biden has made or the administration has made. We are driven by the science. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 159 here on a crisp Wednesday, December 6th in the AEA studios. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle. It snowed in D.C. today, and I'm Mike McKenna. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm sorry I was gone last week, but I'm so glad that, that our producer had a plan. After scrambling for a co-host, he, he said, well, why don't I just do it? And so hopefully you guys enjoyed the show and uh, got a chance to hear from, and we were told uh, the feedback is we shouldn't call you producer anymore, but I don't know. I think I'm just going to have to keep calling you producer. Yeah. It's his name. All right. Um, we are joined this week. By a good, good friend, longtime listener, one of our biggest fans, in fact, one of the only people who gave us libations in celebration of our 50th episode of the Unregulated Podcast, Lou Pugliarese. Lou, welcome welcome to the show. You're going to be with us for the whole time, or are you just going to cut out whenever you, you feel like you're getting It's a getting privilege and an honor to be here, and it's a little bit like making sausage. I've never seen when you see it, it's a lot different. <laughs> I mean this this it's guy, nowhere near as glamorous. This guy right? it's hot in this room. <laughs> We're gonna get for those of you paying attention that, that jacket off soon. For the yeah take your jacket off. For those who are paying attention, Lou actually sent us a box full of alcohol. <laughs> He's now rethinking that. Yeah. He's gonna want some of it back. None of it is here. It's all gone. Oh yeah it's been gone it's in the wind. Forget it's it man. All right Lou tell everyone about your your background, your organization which is a fantastic another energy think tank here in Washington DC. Uh and but, tell us a little bit about uh this excellent conference that you invited us oh, to. But leave night. out the boring stuff, okay? Okay. Well, so okay. I, I'm an exile from the federal government. I was in five federal agencies. I was an NSC staff under President Reagan. And uh, I'm president of the Energy Policy Research Foundation. Originally founded in the late 1940s. Used to be called the Petroleum Industry Research Foundation. And we're just in that space of public policy and good energy policy. We've done a lot of work on all, all the hits, ethanol, Onshore, offshore production, uh, energy security, and now you're you're big in the net zero and the transition space. So yeah, we have done a very big. Some people might call it a takedown of the IEA's research on the ease at which we can get to net zero. It turns out it's extremely difficult if you look at the numbers, and uh, one of the big problems I think with the whole net zero institutions and the complex is that a lot of the public has been given the view that this is just a matter of will. If we just cared, we could get to net zero. 
but I think we all know once you take a kind of 10 minute look at it, you see that it's a very difficult, it's very expensive, and outside and, of and a few rich countries, it's, no one's going to do it. And some could actually question the necessity of it as well. So yes, that's a different question. Yes. We don't play in that no, sandbox. No, we don't, but, but we do. <laughs> so please <laughs> let <No>. me know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I went Christmas tree shopping this weekend and I paid, this article was spot on. Uh, it was north of 200 bucks. For a tree? For my tree this year. What would you get it? Uh, I got it at one of those North Carolina tree farms. Down, down where I'm, you know, spending my time these days. So, two hundred bucks for a Christmas. You just walk out in any state forest and cut one. All right. Well, I'm telling you, that's what I paid for my Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your daily reminder that the podcast obviously only has one legitimate redneck on it, and that's me. (laughs) It's like the fifteen dollars at McDonald's these days. You know, your money is not going as far as it used to here in Joe Biden's America. And by the way. When's the last time he referred to this wonderful economy as Bidenomics? November 1st. I actually am tracking that. Last time he or anybody in the crew, November 1st. Okay. Well, there it is. I guess that didn't really work out so well. It worked out great. I mean, it's just he, the fact that he gave up on it like two months after he started it <laughs> tells you like, yeah, I mean, even, even even the president could identify it as a loser right out of the gate. Yeah. Like, yeah, nobody's, nobody's clapping at that line. Let's keep moving. So he's got some cognitive ability. Really. Yeah, he, 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 can, he can tell when he's... So uh, bombshell, bombshell news, Speaker McCarthy is leaving Congress. And is I don't know, his speech was a little bit longer. We cut a little piece of it. But the bottom line was, I've been doing this job for 17 years. I rose up in the ranks of leadership. And now I'm leaving at the end of the year, not filling out his two-year term uh, to, to continue to do great and wonderful things for America. Now, a cynic would say that kind of sucks because now uh, the new speaker, Speaker Johnson, will have a two-seat majority for the better part of the first, at least the first half of next year. He's a Central so, Valley boy, right? Bakersfield. Bakersfield. Streets of Bakersfield. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. What's your take on that leaving at the end of the year thing? The other one, the other cynic in me says so he can start his year for the clock to run out on the lobby ban. So I'm not a cynic. I think he just woke up one morning and said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not liking it anymore, and I'm not the boss, so I'm out of here. Pieces. I, mean, I think I, that speaker emerita. Yeah, would have had yeah. the same conclusion, you know, right? but she's hanging around. Well, so. I mean, the thing is, is that, and this is an important thing, right? Most Republicans are not built to sit around this this business for like 50 true. years and hope for the best, right? Unlike the D's who you know, love this stuff. Ken McCarthy's so. going to make a bundle of cash because he's a nice guy and everybody likes him and he knows a couple of things. And, you know, and he didn't really, if you think about it, he didn't really do anything that pissed anybody off while he was speaker. I mean, having Matt Gates as a having Matt Gates as an enemy is a good thing, not a bad yeah, thing. Someone argued that he he didn't really wasn't overly forthright on occasion to some of his rank you know and what? file. But I'm amazed to find out that politicians shake <laughs> shocked <laughs> that there's gambling. And, and you know, in the this best part about it is when other politicians complain about somebody shading the truth. I'm like, I'm like, really? Is that where you're going? Is that how we're going here? Yeah. Anyway, so Speaker McCarthy is out the door. Who knows when there'll be a uh, an election to? The only question I have is Newsom will stretch it out as let's hope long as humanly possible. The only question I have is is the is the retinue going to go with him? I don't know. I don't know either. But to my mind, that's the relevant question. By the way, did you see that little short Scalise interview? Yes, that was in Politico. I did. That was interesting. Which part did he push Garrett Graves off the boat? Well, I mean, it was very, you know, very obvious. It was very obvious for for a guy who's rewarding spent, for a guy who spent most of his career trying to be polite to everybody. It yeah. was it was especially <laughs> pointed. Exactly. <laughs> he never said, in all fairness, and this is a, this is a disclaimer, right? Is a Congressman Scalise never uttered the name Garrett. That Grant. is true. That is that is an extrapolation that we have put together. That is true. But everybody knows who he's talking about. Yeah. All right, and then. Um, you know, MIT, Penn, Harvard, they were up on the hill and they just 
Congresswoman uh, Stefanik asked them just very basic questions <laughs> about thinking. whether or not killing Jews, yes killing or no, Jews is genocide. And wow, <laughs> I mean, what a contorted, twisted. This is this is worth spending a minute or two on. Uh, you, 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 you. I'm sure have some theories about about your alma mater that you might want to share. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I told these. I told. I told my friends at the school who were Jewish and didn't completely understand like literally 40 years ago, I'm like, these people hate you not because you're Jewish so much, but because you're not Marxists and they're Marxists. And here we are 40 years later having exactly the same conversation in a slightly different context. And Liz McGill's like, can't man the president of the University of Pennsylvania, can't manage just to say, Hey, you know what? We're generally speaking opposed to the killing of anybody who's innocent. It was pretty. I mean, the, I, the I, congressman I, had it nailed it at the very end there, I, I, right? I, like, just, this is the easiest it, answer in the history the of answers. questions I, in the history of Congress. It's just, you know, I mean, it's, it, 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 but it gives you some sense, and this is something I've been meaning to write about for a while. Everyone's surprised. Everybody seems surprised that these organizations hate Jews. Or in the or in the more polite parlance, are anti-Semitic or tolerate anti-Semitism. They hate Jews, and I don't know why everybody's surprised. It has every. You ask anybody who went to Penn who was not a complete moron over the last two two generations, and they will say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." And Penn on graduation day, you know, my senior class was probably 60 percent Jewish on graduation day, so it's not like they're underrepresented. Um, but the institution hates their guts. Mm. Because they're not Marxist. Really pathetic. But it is refreshing. We all, you know, shared a, a lunch with a dear friend of ours. And, and nice she lunch. commented about how her liberal friends and or family members are like completely shocked and dismayed and, and I'm blown you know, away by the, the you, public display of the unwillingness to just temper this. If you are shocked, if you are shocked by the obvious anti-Semitism. If you are shocked by people who clearly hate Jews because they're Jews and not Marxists, um, you have not been paying attention to the United States for the last 20 years. Yeah. Dude, here's, here's, the, here's the unhappy truth. They hate, they hate Christians who aren't Marxists too. They hate non-believers who aren't Marxists. Yeah, I mean, it, they it, hate it's, everybody it's who's not a Marxist. Right. We're all dangerous to them, so they hate us. It, it just – I don't understand how this is complicated. It's, right. Exactly. Insurrectionists. <laughs> Lou's doing his best not to contribute <laughs> to this conversation. He's going to wait for the energy <laughs> stuff. No, no. You should probably do that. Though. Don't worry about it. We'll point one. We'll point one. We'll move it on. Unless you got something. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> he wants to do announcements. John Kerry. Wait, are we doing announcements? Oh, we're doing still clips. Special K, special envoy Kerry. I can tell you honestly. Oh, boy. There is zero politics or ideology in any decision that President Biden has made or the administration has made. We are driven by the science. Yeah. So um, Go ahead, you so first. So actually, uh, this question, what does it mean to science? I mean, let's say climate's a serious problem. That really doesn't give you a remit to do extremely stupid and costly things. I think that's the basis of our work on Net Zero, which is, okay, you're worried about this problem. Fine. Then why do you propose ideas which sort of impoverish the entire developing world? And hold back economic growth. Oh yeah, it just gets because though yeah. that removes the every tool we might have to deal with negative climate consequences, mm -hmm. for which are quite uncertain. Any solution that is a not their solution, or b involves in some way, shape, or form the continuation of the utilization of coal, oil, or natural gas, is not a solution. However. Since 80% of the world runs on those three sources, anything that you do incrementally to reduce emissions that does not include those three resources versus their elimination is, is both fantasy and it's just, it just shows how unserious this is and how ideological it is and how political that it is. Yeah, That's my take. Right. And we, we've been making these, you know, we luckily we got a generous grant from our chairman 
and we we went to many venues to give our story, and it's very data-driven. You can find it on our website. And what's fascinating is you, in a meeting with actually people who really know better, and you take them through all the numbers, and they say, gee, Mr. Polisi, that was fantastic. Okay, let's move to the hydrogen panel. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to the other fantasy stuff, right? And I, I just, I don't know. What, so there's a kind of mass hysteria setting in, and I don't know really what we do about it. It's going to be a long, That's the challenge. A long road. Exactly. That's the challenge. All right, any announcements, Mr. McKenna? I have a bunch, so get ready. Right on. Go, go, go. First, Tommy Andrews um, had his... The young man who worked with me in the White House had his uh, first child, a male child, a masculine child. May your first child. Be a masculine child. Um, <laughs> that's old school right there, man. Be a um, masculine child. Uh, Tommy, and, and it fits. Tommy's Greek, right? Um, uh, I, I guarantee you his, 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 his people wished a masculine child. Yes, first. of course. So good work, Molly, too. And uh, unfortunately, he stuck him with a middle name of Sanford, so you could make him junior or fourth or fifth or whatever. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, you should have called the kid Mike Andrews. I think that would have been better, Tommy. Um, second, I want to thank uh, Hillary for lunch. It was, it was, it was as, um, it was as these things usually are sort of the funnest part of the Christmas um, time. Um, I want to thank the producer for uh, nursemaiding me through last week's show. That was very helpful and for his very gracious um, use of his office more recently. Um, I want to thank Tom Pyle for going on an extended hiatus to recover his soul. To show the world that this show can go on without me. This is a coup happening. So we got Lou here. Mike sit in my chair. I don't know. We're going to have Travis, Lou, yep. producer. We got, got the rotating co-host here. I want to thank uh, Congressman Wahlberg for um, Putting it, putting the pedal to the metal in the Cars Act. Um, I want to thank Rules Committee for not order, not letting anything be in order as far as amendments. <laughs> Up or down, baby. And this December sixth, I want to point out that it is the Feast of Saint Nicholas today. Yes. And I want to thank um, Saint Nicholas, who was of course a bishop in Turkey, um, and was most famous for punching the occasional um, heretic that he ran across because he was a a bitter opponent of the Arian heresy. And as there's a meme going around Catholic Twitter that get in the Christmas spirit, punch a heretic. <laughs> or like, remember, the, what's the Wash, George Washington meme where he's like crossing the Delaware across, on Christmas? Across, across like, the delegate you know, at, at night like to kill you. Killing, uh, killing you know. <laughs> Sometimes you do forget the, <laughs> yeah. the more martial, the more martial nature of our, of our um, provenance. Anyway, so those are all my announcements. All right. Well, I do want to thank Lou, our, our guest here, for uh, his yesterday. He put together an excellent conference on the issues that we were talking about, net zero and, and automobile. I'm uh, sorry solutions. I missed it, but I wasn't on the list. <laughs> so, uh, and for letting yes. us well, yeah, use. I, yeah, let me just say one quick thing about that. I mean, if you if you look at all the pathways to net zero, there's no pathway doesn't that doesn't go through massive electrification of the national economies. And massive electrification is costly, technically extremely challenging, and likely not to happen in any kind of time frame that John Kerry and the Biden administration yeah. is talking about. And, and we need to sort of figure out, because it's going to be very costly to work through this when we figure out that we can't do it. Well, I want to add a layer of that, too, because... All electrification is to me, um, you know, we talk about the importance of diverse diversification, right? And and right now we have a fairly diverse, diverse uh, way that we receive and use our energy, right? We have transportation fuels and we have, unless the Biden administration gets its way, we have the ability to burn gas in our homes and things like that, right? You always hear when the power's out, at least I can boil water, I can heat, you know, the kitchen, uh, you know, et cetera. We talked about the efficiency of direct gas to your home versus burning it hundreds of miles away and running it through the transmission line. So, so we to should me, talk that's about stupid. That. I think it's dumb. Right. To like, Not only that, we should talk about what's already happening now, which is forget about the sort of getting rid of all the gas. Right now, we have a massive program to electrify the transmission of natural gas. 
won't say who lives across the street from me. He's a very big wig. I heard this. Heard he, had a he has a massive uh, generator that tests once a week. It's the size of a jet engine. <laughs> and uh, he gets that gas can flow when there's a blackout because many most pipelines still run on natural gas. Sure. But we are trying to electrify all the compressors, yeah. which means if we have a massive blackout, not only are you not going to get the electricity directly, we have evidence that happened in Texas. It happened in Texas. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what happened in Texas. Right. Even even guys who nominated their gas um, were no-showed by compressor stations that couldn't couldn't yep. route it. All right. Uh, this day in history, you're welcome to participate, Lou. Yeah. This day in 1865, December 6th. 1865. Somebody and was readmitted back to the Union. No. The but 14th Amendment. No, close. The 13th Amendment. Ding, 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 ding. Georgia ratified the 13th Amendment, which officially... Oh, yeah. On this day in 1969, this is a little pop culture. December 6, 1969. This is uh, this was the... the it's the age the, of Aquarius, baby. No, but it was a, a an attempt by um, the festival put putter togethers to rec to replicate Wo Woodstock on the West Coast. Altamont. Altamont really? this was on Altamont? this day in 1969. Oh, for some reason, I thought Altamont was a fall thing. Nope. You know the most interesting it thing about Altamont? almost like yesterday. <laughs> right? You know the best thing about Altamont? The most the most interesting thing about Altamont, apart from well, the guy getting killed while the Rolling Stones were Well, actually, stage. four people died, and well, there, are four, four. there are four people who were born. You know what? At the at, at the ultimate when, when, when you hire Hell's Angels for security, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and do you know what they what the payment was? I don't know. Five hundred dollars worth of beer. And if you're the Rolling Stones, that's probably a good payment. If you're the four dead guys, you might have a different yeah. sense of it. Yeah. No, the most interesting thing that happened at Altamont is the Beach Boys were supposed to go. They were supposed to perform, but Brian Wilson had one of his episodes, and they couldn't. They, uh, they didn't well, show up, the, and it was pretty much the end of the Beach Boys. The Grateful Dead uh, were supposed to perform after this uh, as well, but they they found out that uh, someone, one of the performers got hit in the head with something and had a concussion, so they rolled out too. So kind of a mess out there. In, in, uh, out, where was that? Where was it located? Altamont. Livermore. Yeah, the up, speedway is was in Livermore. Yeah, it's yeah. up. It's up in. It's up in the. Up in the. Um, we call that the, the East Bay. Yeah, right. <laughs> for those of you who, for those of you who have, have trouble tracking, Sweet Lou here is from San Francisco. He's a, he's a, are you San Francisco, San Francisco? Yes. Up on the north end? Are you located anywhere near the um, track, uh, the tracking of the feces? No, from I From Governor I, I DeSantis. Little, I, I, Darren, it's debate. everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> My entire extended family lives in, uh, from Marin to San Francisco to San Mateo, the parts of the East. Ladies and gentlemen, San Francisco, my old man told me for years that San Francisco is one of three American cities. There are no there are no other American cities. They're all just villages that grew up. He said New York, Chicago, Chicago and, and San Francisco. San Francisco. I've heard this story. Before. I know. For the entirety of my life, I had no idea what he was yeah. talking about. And then I actually went to San Francisco and Chicago. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, guess I totally get what he means. Yeah. The only cities in the country. So, you know... Our listeners know me as the Buffalo guy, but I did spend a fair amount of time uh, in California, both in Northern California and, of course, in Southern California. So you're damn hippie. It's really sad. 1973. Tom Pyle. This happened in 1973. On December 6th? This was, uh, yes, a transfer of power. That's the hint. Anwar Sadat got shot. No. Okay. No. 73. It's, it's here. It's local. Here? Local? Oh, Marion Barry became God. Uh, no. Marian. Okay, go ahead. George, sorry, Gerald R. Ford was sworn in as vice president. Oh, excellent. No, I wouldn't of have the gotten United that. States on this day in 1973, now. replacing Spiro T. Spiro Agnew. Yeah, man. The nattering nabobs. Of negativism. negativism. Okay, I've said this before. You know who actually wrote that? Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan. Sure, yeah. That's correct. So you know, when I was in high school, and Richard Nixon and Nixon was running against Pat Brown, Papa Pat Brown. Yeah, the old man. My job was to go to the airport and meet him because he was following Pat Brown and giving a speech to our high school. Okay, that's cool. 
All right, last one, 2006. I'm never good at these more recent ones. Yeah, <laughs> it's not really that. I mean, 2006. there wasn't much going on today. This was NASA released images that indicated the presence of water. On the moon. On Mars. Mars. Okay. We had water on Mars. No, it changed so. my life. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, we talked a little bit about Israel in, in a different context. This got my this really i don't know this bothered me a lot so i brought i i, I want to incorporate we don't have to spend too much time on it but politico ran a piece a couple of days ago in one of their newsletters oh boy here we go this is gonna be good <sighs> go ahead biden administration official has spent weeks weeks quietly drafting a multi-phase post-war plan that envisions a revamped Palestinian authority ultimately taking over the Gaza Strip, reports Politico. Yep. It's an imperfect solution, but American officials view it as the best and only uh, of only bad options for a territory where a war between Israel and Hamas militants has shattered infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. Although Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and others in the administration have publicly declared that a revitalized Palestinian authority should be in the Strip, they haven't unveiled details of how that would work. Who in the hell do they think they are to, to create the post-war plan so, yeah, I, for I, Palestine? This is I do have a this view. really pissed me off. Yeah, I have a view on this. Hamas is the a sort of central governing authority. Then what did they expect the Israelis to do? They need the they need to defeat the enemy and get unconditional surrender. And it's a mistake for us to intervene in that any more than that. That, that's what the Israelis need. And that is actually, in the end, going to be the best thing for the Palestinian people. It's painful to say it, but it's really, the, and it's probably the only thing the Israeli people are going to accept. Israeli President, Prime Minister ben, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has effectively ruled out a future Gaza role for the Palestinian Authority, ha, uh, has already basically like pissed all over this, which he should have. Um, Anyway, I just it just really really chapped my hide to so like, to, to it, read this. It's it like, gravels you. Can I can I can I can I get can we get a plug in here for a second? Yeah. So I wrote a column today. I I filed it today. It's going to run tonight and tomorrow. Um, in our partner, the Washington Times. Thank you, Washington Times. Um, and I questioned this administration's commitment to defending democracy. I wish I had included this example. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't fully aware of it. If you. Defending democracy strikes me as like a seamless garment type of thing. Either you're in favor of it or you're not. I may be wrong, but did anybody elect this dude in the State Department or wherever he's sitting to write this up for anybody? That's what I'm saying. Like, how arrogant is it for us to say? Hey, and while, like, we're, and while we're talking about it, did anybody – have we voted on Paris yet or Kyoto or or banning yeah, cars? Have we yeah, done any of that stuff or yet? Or net zero. Or net zero? Yeah. Okay. And, and here's so – the, the final quote was, we're stuck. State Department officials <laughs> said stuck. there's a strong policy preference for the uh, Palestinian Authority to play a governing role in Gaza, but it has significant legitimacy and capability challenges. <laughs> and these guys are insane. You know what? 70,000 people in the State Department. Probably time to think about it. Speaker Johnson passed an aid bill how, how long ago now? Going on a month? Yeah, probably something like that. Fully offset. Yeah. Sitting there in the Senate graveyard. So, okay. all right, we're having trouble. We're having trouble. Apparently, nobody takes Senator Cornyn seriously when he says, "Look, this isn't a negotiation. Here's my price for entry." Right. Exactly. All right, we're gonna play a game, Lou. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Jeez, don't all chime in at once, Scott. This is called by the numbers. So okay, negativity. this is just a way for us to so much negativity. I'm used to getting the answers in advance. Okay, by the numbers. Seriously, we're not Ready? staffing him very well. Seven point five billion. Seven point five. Seven point five billion. The number of dollars. The number of Jeopardy watchers. Dollars. The number of people who watch soccer in the, on this planet. You're wrong. Any You care to wager a guess? $7.5 billion. Is it a subsidy for... Uh, You're close. Is it a subsidy for EVs? For, for one, one month? For EV one day? charging. <laughs> oh, for EV charging. But my understanding is... The amount of money authorized in the bipartisan infrastructure package that passed in 2021... Directed specifically towards EV chargers, 
with an eye toward achieving President Biden's goal of building 500,000 chargers in the United States by 2030. As I recall, who the presenter who will remain nameless, I think we need 300 billion, and that that's the estimated cost of the charging stations for some relatively low-level penetration. That's about, that's and about. I don't think any of this money has actually been oh, wait, successful. Next number, zero. Zero. The amount. The That's number of chargers that have been deployed. Boom! Bingo! See how this game works? Were these not shovel-ready projects? No. Apparently not. Oh, oh, a throwback answer. The sluggish <laughs> rollout <laughs> could undermine President Joe Biden's re-election messaging promoting electric vehicles as if anyone cares. How many about... voters are voting on the EV charging stations? Uh, almost, so, every, almost every swing voter in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I like to read the lead. Congress at the urging of the Biden administration agreed in 2021 to spend $7.5 billion to build tens of thousands of electric vehicle chargers across the country, aiming to appease anxious drivers while tackling climate change. Two years later, the program has yet to install a single charger. Who, who wrote that story? Uh, you're going to ask me that. I don't have James... Bacallus, yeah, Bacallus. James Bacallus. He, he does good work. Um, I will, I will tell you one quick story. Are we done with this? No, go ahead. It's, okay, it's okay, our show. We can no, no, no. I just wanted to, I just wanted to, to put some context on that. I was having a conversation with friends of mine in a large utility, which shall remain nameless because I'd get fired if they, if I gave their name. Um, but they were talking about chargers, and the senior vice president in charge of the operation. You know, sort of cut the conversation short because he said, look, we made a decision we're not going to get in this game because we're just going to draw the throw. Is this a utility that uh said that? Wow. Because we're just going to draw throws from the oil and gas guys and from the service station guys. Interesting. And we just don't want, you know, he said, he said the, the, um, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Wow. And I thought, I'm pleasantly surprised. Okay. So that was about 10 days ago. This story comes out like two days ago and I was like. I think I understand partially what's going on here. Because this is a utility, by the way. It's not undercapitalized. It's got a bunch of money thinking, sitting you'd around. You'd think that they'd be for that because, you Yeah, know, I, I think they're, they're looking at the world that. like, I think they're looking at the world like, if it happens, great. And if it doesn't happen, well, and we that's learned, okay too. We learned yesterday that, uh, and this is not <clears throat> not just from your, your conference, but there, there is no interest in making, you know, lots of investments in. Well, it's funny the, you say at the dealerships. Yeah, the dealerships. The Ford guys, right, had to back out a couple three thousand dealers from their from their EV thing, which was in two tiers, right, a million bucks and half a million bucks because they all wanted out. So Ford's like, okay, get out. The interesting thing, the other interesting thing, this utility guy said was, there are better places to park our money. And I was just like, whoa, interesting. Because right? well, so you think about all of our stuff as like a little self-contained yeah, bubble. Yeah. This guy is not think this guy's thinking, I got he, I, I want to say the number might have been 16 billion, but whatever. He had a bunch of money sitting on. He's like, I can go anywhere with that money, put it into anything. Why would I put it into this investment? Well, what I didn't get about it is who goes to hang out at the dealership? Yeah, I like exactly. to go and look at the new cars, but I'm done in 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's gonna take me an hour to charge you know, up the car. Right, right. So and they're not they're always located in like random places that you have yeah. to get to to get to them right for the most part. So hey, right, anyway, but this is also fun because states and the charger industry blame the delays mostly on the labyrinth of new contracting and performance requirements they have to navigate to receive federal funds. I don't think that's true. The Buy American provisions are always ticklish, but they always get waived. Yeah. I don't believe that for ten seconds. Yeah. All right. Next story. All right. Next number, forty. 40, 40, 40, the number of acres and a mule and a mule <laughs> that free slaves are supposed to get after the civil war. And that ties us right back to this day in history yeah, in Georgia. You're welcome. Yeah. 40 days. More specific. My next one's going to be 40, 54, 40 or fight. fight. <laughs> so 40 days and 40 nights. Just 40 days, Lou. I'm Don't. on my way <laughs> up to Canaan land. 40 days until I'm the on Iowa my caucus. Way. Oh, well, was it that close? Yep. We are that close. Right around the corner. January 15th. <laughs> and then there were three, is the uh, alternative title to this, this section. Doug Burgum, this is from CNN, 
announces he's suspending his 2024 presidential campaign. So on the debate stage tonight will be Chris Christie. Yeah. The spitball guy. Oh. (laughs) Ron DeSantis. What about Nikki? Nikki Haley. And Vivek Ramaswamy, he's which is not there. how you pronounce his last name, but anyway. Is he still there? He's still around. Is he still so there, he's still dude? So. He's never going to leave. He's got, now, a taste of, he's got a taste of fame. He's never leaving. A couple other developments besides Doug Burgum, who, by the way, I love his message. By the way, that's a, that's a very- sucks. We got to get our energy, energy and national going again. By the way, before we go on with this, I just want to also make an announcement that that Lou is wearing a very attractive jacket, which I just noticed. Man, it's got it's got red piping on it. So I can help you out with Mike Taylor. He, he lives kinda, up in Georgetown. He's uh, kind of looks like from Jamaica, and kinda, he's very reasonable. Kind of looks like a man. And you guys could probably visit first. him. He would be. He, he could help well, you guys. I got to lose like 20, 25 pounds first. <laughs> well, I got a good jacket, but I'm, I'm wearing the hell out of it. I mean, I wear it all the time because I love it. Yeah, loose shirt, very yeah, sharp. Man, I mean, shoes. Shoes need a little work, but the rest of it is really good. Do you blow your nose on it on the on the handkerchief? No. Look what I've got here. Look. I know, Sam. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I'm in the Christmas. Dude, you 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 are. He's classing to join up on that. You know what we should do? Hey, I'm wearing a tie today, so good luck. You know what we should do? We should get a picture of him up on the wall. We should get a picture of all of all our guests. Brilliant idea, producer. Okay, but we, after the show, iPhone picture, print it, get it up on the wall. We also got to have like say he has to. Give we an need actu- he, no, has, he has we, to give us an actuality. Are we gonna get a nine by twelve lossy? With yes, the big pen. Absolutely, I'll do that. You actually, Ash wants a picture of us. We, we need, took a picture of us at the, the last conference. We need our a man in London. Our man in London. Weird. It was a little bit. <laughs> it was awesome, man. First, it was the first time we were recognized in the wild by a. And fan. We looked at each other like <laughs> we were both like, "What the Someone hell?" Listens to this is awesome. <laughs> Go ahead. 40. Okay. Yeah. 40 days to the Iowa caucus. Four candidates. Realistically, three. Mike has a different take on that number. Uh, the, the other development besides Burgum was that AFP, uh, the Americans for Prosperity uh, at political arm, endorsed and is all in for, for Nikki Haley, which gives her an infusion of, of resources and uh, obviously door knockers and stuff because she's got the grassroots. So their bet is is that Ron DeSantis flamed out. He had the best chance. He had a, a boatload of money at the beginning, and he just he's just not getting it done. So they're they're putting all their eggs. This is an anti-Trump endorsement that more sure. than anything because AFP is very much opposed to President Trump's renomination. So, but Mike McKenna in another column, no. the 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 Washington Times, our partner, I get, uh, I get no warning uh, about our these columns. Sponsor, so I'm always like, what did I say? This two time? paths: two Will paths. Trump or DeSantis win the GOP presidential nomination? I read that piece. Mike McKenna's <laughs> take is summarize: two paths diverged in and forth, and I chose the and I. Look down one, the as far as I fields of Iowa. <laughs> uh, it's it's my my theory. Of the case is pretty simple. If if DeSantis wins in Iowa, we have a chance at a legitimate race. If Trump wins in Iowa, we're done. And what when I say DeSantis, done, I mean we're done. Right. But what if DeSantis comes close? No. It's no. It's win yeah, or it's not. The only gone. path is if he wins Iowa. I mean, even just, then, very narrow. Yeah, when you say close, like you mean he's within like two or three votes, yeah. or yeah, maybe. But yeah, he if he takes if he th- takes anything bigger than that, if he takes a ten point loss, we're done. But we have other we have historical examples, right? People win Iowa then flame out. Oh yeah, it's I mean. entirely possible he can win Iowa and lose. Yeah. What I'm saying is, it's not at all possible that you know he can lose Iowa and win. Nice. You know, and Trump could lose Iowa and still win. Yeah, DeSantis got to have Iowa. Yeah, there's okay. just there's no way. Around but it. you you also you also uh, say that I believe I read this that uh, it would also probably need to require an endorsement from Sununu in yeah. New Hampshire. I think so. I, I assume that's it. what I assume that's what Sununu's hanging around waiting for to yeah. see what happens in Iowa. You know, because there's no other. Sits out if Trump wins. That's right. There's no other reason. There's no other reason to 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 wait. Right. He should have. He should have endorsed right after Kim Reynolds endorsed if he wanted DeSantis. He just wants somebody who's not Trump. Just taking the easy political route. That's right. Right. 
So. Sununu family does that sometimes. Yeah, you heard that. We heard a fun rumor about Sununu today at lunch. <laughs> the, the, the old man Sununu, but we can't repeat that story here on the uh, Not a rumor. Podcast. Not a rumor. It'd not be, a rumor, but we'll uh, call a him, story. We call him Mike DeLello and find out get his memory of it because we both had the same memory. Okay. Producer found this one 1.6 million. 1.6 million. And that's, I'll give you a hint, it's dollars. So you could probably wager you could probably make a decent bet for what this figure is 1.6 million 1.6 million with an m dollars the amount of the monthly aea budget pro terra the amount of money electric bus company that went bankrupt in august jennifer granholm biden's energy secretary had served on the company's board in may 2021 before assuming the lead at the Department of Energy, Granholm sold all her Proterra holdings, providing her with a net capital gain of one point six million is everything million dollars. Yeah, that's good money for a waitress from Canada. <laughs> uh, okay. What? Yes, it's so well. But Proterra also benefited from uh, the tax credits in the IRA. So Are they, they still gave around? as good as they got. Uh, no, they're they're bankrupt. They're bankrupt, they're bankrupt yeah. last Well, last their buses kept lighting on fire, as, you know, <laughs> yeah. rendering them suboptimal for mass transit. <laughs> <laughs> but they had those USB ports. Remember the vice president? I was going to say, they have oh, all these cool. cool widgets. Bees are the seats. You can even put the USB. <laughs> you can charge your phone when you... When you're going to work, isn't that something? You could do that on the Chinatown bus. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. Hey, go all right, here's down. another number. Uh, yeah, what's another number? Seventy-nine. Seventy-nine is a percentage. Seventy-nine percent. Seventy-six trombones went down the with hundred and ten. Seventy-nine percent. The the percentage of the yes number no. of the number of voters. Who do not want either Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden to run? <laughs> sure, that's right, but that's not the context here. The context: the here number of is... Giants fans who are disappointed every year. <laughs> oh, that would be it's too low. <laughs> According to Consumer the, the Reports, have given which up. is, I don't know, are they considered by yes. nonpartisan? Oh, I know this. Fairly? I know this. Oh, no, no, oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I heard it yesterday. Yes, yeah. So I have. I, I have I to said it yesterday. I yes. Go ahead. <laughs> I think I said it According to, you. to Consumer Reports' newly released annual car reliability survey, electric vehicle owners report 79% more problems with their vehicles than owners of conventional cars or hybrids. The survey reveals that on average, EVs from the past three model years had 79% more problems based on owner responses on more than 330,000 vehicles. That's not a bad sample, that's right? A lot. That's a good sample. Uh, the survey covers 20 potential problem areas, including engine, transmission, electric motors, leaks, and infotainment systems. Yeah, I, I got I to I I get the consumer reports thing because it seems odd. I mean, this is a this is a this is a, a machine that has many many fewer moving parts to break down, and no fluid. I mean, no almost no fluids right. at all to break Simple down. Simple engine. It, it's it's there's almost no complexity to it this at all. This is strange because when the EVs came out, Consumer Reports could not give them a higher review. Best car they ever. Drove. Yeah. Well, I'm working a theory on this. You want it? I got it. Well, you see all these recalls. Especially well, yeah, with I'm, the working I'm working a theory. I'm working a specific the, the theory on EVs companies. I think people. I think Tesla is a good car. I think the rest of the EVs are junk. Well, and the thing is, is we talked about Tesla. They 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 basically just stacked the the batteries. They just put them yeah. together like put a, puzzle, a bunch of like double Lego. batteries together. But yeah. what was interesting is that also Tesla built an integrated frame for batteries. The the everybody big else is three doing legacy said, Well, let's stuff. use our old frame. We'll yeah, stick the let's batteries use the in there somewhere. Yeah, that would yeah. fit right. And that's why they had so many problems with recalls and everything. Yeah, that else, means right? I got to get a copy of this stupid. So, but the thing is, is this is. This is uh, the right. early adapters are done, and they all bought Teslas. And Tesla's an all-only electric car, right? These these Tom, companies. if you're going to tell me that people aren't going to buy the Ford 150 Lightning, I'm going to punch you because <laughs> we all know that's not the case. Okay, right, I'm going to set up the next number with a little doozy from our our good friend 
special envoy carry over at the COP28 in Dubai. Ready? Sure. We ought to be transitioning out of coal. There shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world. That's how you can do something for health. And the reality is that we're not doing it. So, um, you know, the measure here is, is really uh, sounding the alarm bell. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. And, and the reality is that um, the climate crisis and the health crisis are one and the same. Okay, now, a couple points here before we get into the discussion. And, and I'm not finished with the by the numbers. So yeah, please, wait for that. please be done with this segment as fast <laughs> as possible. First of all, he fired away something. Uh, he fired away something during that uh, during that little snippet. I don't know if you caught that, but we're not going to dwell on it because it happens to everybody. Uh, the most was a methane release, but the most <laughs> important thing here is that he said, "quote There shouldn't be any more coal fired power plants permitted anywhere yeah. in the world." Yeah. Okay. Now the number three hundred million. The number of gigawatts the Chinese have and Chinese and Indians have in their in their now number of watts that the gigawatts three hundred million is the amount of metric tons of dispatchable annual coal production by twenty thirty that China pledged this week during COP twenty eight <laughs> to per, to preserve to have set up a coal production reserve. <laughs> In China to stabilize coal prices, like you couldn't like be any more yeah, in your face for about purposes. how much they care about COP twenty eight. So this from Reuters, they'll establish a backup coal production system by twenty twenty seven. The state planner said on Wednesday it aims to start phasing down, even as it aims to start phasing down coal use in the second half of this decade. Sure. So so, so if we have said in the absence of actually delivering a lower cost, technologically superior source of energy, South Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, will only rely on coal. And it doesn't matter how many beads and trinkets they're offered, it's not enough money so far to make a difference. And uh, Yeah, why it, would it, right? You use what you have. And if you look at our very well-known chart of the week, it yes. appeared a couple of weeks ago. You can uh, see. So how do you sign up for that? Just go right to the website or call give Will the, Pack. Give, at give e the website. Okay. Everyone should visit www.eprinc.org. You can get our chart of the week and you have access to all our fantastic reports. It's the best chart ever. And you get to call up Max and like yeah, ask him questions Max about like, the chart. What does this chart mean, Max? Yeah. Dude, there's too much going on in this What thing. are you trying to say? Because, you know, it, 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 that's the only thing, right? It's charts made by really smart guys for really stupid guys like us. So we're just like, what? Wait, huh? Right, a couple quick numbers. Got to take this. some of the blinds out. We didn't go to college there. 300 million metric tons of dispatchable coal is the equivalent to 7% of its 2022 production. And coal is the world's, China is the world's top total coal consumer and producer. Last year, it produced a record 4.5 billion metric tons. Ton. What do the United States produce? About a million, about a billion? Something like that? I don't know. About a third of that. Producer will find it for yeah. us. Right. I, do, I do think a question that- and I, I, But they're gonna phase out in five years. Yeah. Who said who? That's what it said. Five years. The Chinese haven't said that. Second half of the decade. So, you know, we are on the circuit. We That's go, what Reuters reported. We go visit a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, attend any conference in a nice locale we can get to. And what's fascinating to me is that the discussion is almost entirely what people are doing in the developed world. Yeah. And even when you point out, which is obvious, that it doesn't really matter what we do in terms of total emissions. It doesn't really last for more than a couple of minutes before they go on yeah. to keep working on what they're working on, which is what we're going to do in Germany or yeah. England. Well, that's what Europe. their donors pay them to, to focus on. I would point out. Uh, I would point out that um, 
China now emits about 15 billion tons of greenhouse gas, right? Carbon dioxide equivalent into the air every year, probably 16, 17 by now. United States emits about six and a half, all right? We're not, we're, we're starting, India emits about four and a half, and we're starting to wander into a phase where like the United States itself is just not that important on this stuff. Right, so if you look at the sort of the model EIA runs, we run, you get about 37 gigatons in 2050 under, you know, kind of business as usual. Even if the entire OECD goes to net zero, yeah. you get to 32 billion gigatons. That's so. right. That's right. It, it, um, I would also point out one other thing, and I don't want to beat this drum all the time, but I do want to beat it. Um, that has to be the most anti-democratic thing I've ever heard. John Kerry, right? I can't oh believe I can't believe adults, blah 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 blah. I'm like, know. dude, go go call the Chinese who are sitting right next to you. Like, hey man. <laughs> he announced it yesterday. He was probably talking at roughly the same time. I just, the energy minister announced the reserve. It's crazy. I mean, it you know, basically, I know what's best for the Chinese, for the Indians. I know. For it's Indonesia, just, for you name it, right? For the Japanese. It's just mind numbing. It, it it for an administration that prides itself on defending democracy. It's awful spotty. Yeah. Spotty. Absolutely. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I got one more Thank here. Goodness. 101. We haven't been right on any of these so far. 101. Dalmatians. Dalmatians. That's all. Of course. Is that the movie you had to take the kids to last No, no, no. Okay. No. I'll give you another one. The route that the north-south arterial in Western <laughs> California that you cannot drive on because it's always right. jammed with You're humans. You're not going to guess. This is I the... just gave you two guesses. <laughs> You're not going to guess correctly. Okay. Sorry. Today, breaking news, Norman Lear. Died. Legendary TV producer died at 101. Yeah. My Norman God, Lear, fantastic. of course. All in the family. Maud, the Jeffersons, Good Times, Sanford and Son. This is everything I grew up on, man. Yeah, I <laughs> This want was you, my guy. I want you to go back. One and, day at a time. I right? want you to go back and read and watch these things again. And you, you know what you're going to find out? All in the Family was good for like two seasons, and Sanford and Son was good because of Red Fox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all the rest of this stuff was terrible. It was terrible. Unwatchable. There wasn't anything else to watch. Yeah. Seriously. It, it, Norman, well, not according to- Norman uh, Lear could not make TV today. Not according to uh, the people who nominate for Emmys, because he, he had 16 awards total. Again, as, as Lou just pointed out, it's because there were three networks, for God's sake. They had to give them to somebody. Carol Burnett, uh, let's see, her, I think her show was was in his repertoire. Unwatchable. Well. Again. The, the Facts of Life, Different Strokes. Unwatchable. I love these shows. Unwatchable. What you talking about, Willis? I want you to go back and watch them. What you talking about, Willis? Go back and watch them and tell me how they are now. They're yeah. awful. Norman Lear, God rest your soul, yeah. sir. Well, sure. Maybe rest we'll go with that. All right. Um, As you can tell, I'm not a big fan. You want to go COP28? One more on COP28? This is... Uh, yes. The okay. numbers are done. Go the ahead. First, how many people are at COP28? The, the 101. I can't believe you didn't give me the 101, man. You're terrible. <laughs> it's got like multiple In-N-Out Burger locations on the whole stretch of it. Oh, wait. I forgot one. All, all, I forgot one. One more number. 80%. Gang. 80%, the amount of my mind share that has wandered away during this conversation. 80% from PV Magazine. California, once a leader in residential solar, is feeling the effects from unpopular policy changes, like the introduction of net, net metering, metering 3.0, yeah. which basically was getting rid of net metering, and more recent market rate cuts for rooftop solar generation by renters, schools, and farms. The two policy changes cut compensation rates for exporting local clean solar generation to the grid by about 75%. Wow. That's because electricity is not worth very much at noon. Uh, it's a, yeah. Yes, it's not worth, it's actually has negative value at noon on a sunny day. This almost bankrupt the state of Hawaii, by the way. They had to pull back. And then that metering stuff, yeah. we've been harping on this for years, yeah, yeah. right? And, and this is actually something the IOUs and us agree strongly on. Yeah. State regulators said that change was a uh, facilitating, was a necessary evolution in the grid. But <laughs> opponents argued that the move was a thinly veiled effort to protect the profits of major utilities. 
Uh, you, know, you know those two things could be the same. Um, Both a thinly okay, veiled but, but and an evolution. The point is, it's the same with the PTC. Right? I'm not sure when I'm it, when the subsidy goes away, everybody barks, everybody leaves. Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's, that's the it. nature it's of subsidies. They're right? chasing the dollars. There is no value to this stuff that, other than all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this pitch one more time. Since we're talking about subsidies, you just made a point that subsidies work, right? They do. They do work. I want again. We need a subsidy for all automobiles. All automobiles should be given seventy okay, five hundred. But you're contributing to the death spiral of subsidization as opposed to uh, the effort. We need to unwind all. No, the we subsidies. don't. We need to give. We Get need rid of all. No, the we subsidies. don't. We need to equalize. That has the practical effect of resetting it all at zero. Except normal people will be able to afford more cars, so they'll buy more cars. Yeah, well, I'm for that. Good luck the, with it. The auto companies are going to be in favor of this once they clear their heads from this EV stuff. They're going to be like, Mike McKenna has the right answer. We need 7,500 bucks for everything. Uh, we could go from I selling 17 can't. million units to selling 25 more. There is one board. statistic we should all remember. We're working on it. Yeah. There he is, according to Bloomberg NEF. You know, who, yeah. who could probably be not a good that. friend of you folks. Bloomberg said that direct government subsidies for wind and solar worldwide over the last 20 years amounts to $6.5 trillion. And after all that money represents 2.3% of world primary energy. So this stuff might be a What's lot harder ROI? to do. <laughs> What's the ROI on that? That's a lot, man. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. See, I don't want even that. I just want them to give 700 bucks to like, you know, the next five or six million people who buy cars in this country. All right. So I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but this is the largest conference of the parties ever. There's 70 plus 75 there was 80, an, no 104,000 was the first so they have hotel the rooms for that party. in Dubai Dubai's a beautiful place yeah, yeah. Been I've never been yeah, there several times you've been everywhere just, <laughs> you're like the Johnny Cash song you've Dude, been his, man. his jacket is worth 8,000 bucks of course he's been to Dubai <laughs> you crazy I'm taking you to my tailor I tell you, you what know, you, know is, what? you know what we're going to do we should start advocating for the Republican National Convention to be held in Dubai because at least they got hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go ahead. So you know the 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 problem of climate change is so big, and everybody has to be involved in, in part of the solution. So, fortunately, um, the UN uh, organizers put together uh, a a um, discussion on Tuesday on sustainable yachting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a big fan of yachting YouTubes. I watch them often. Well, tell me this. Yes. Wait a minute. To me, wait this is minute, really important. You know why? Because this is actually something that John Kerry should actually attend. <laughs> hold on for it's a It's something he can actually do to reduce <laughs> his carbon footprint. Hold, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Who You're joking, this? Right? Yeah, this is This is Daily Caller, Nick Pope, our buddy Nick. <laughs> There's no way this the is The UN legit. Climate Summit, known as COP28, featured a Tuesday discussion on sustainable yachting. <laughs> Go ahead, read. read the discussion the centered on finding, quote, a variety of technical solutions developed to make the yachting experience more responsible and sustainable, <laughs> according to its official COP28 website. The event, titled Responsible Yachting Today and Tomorrow, was moderated by Nico Rosberg, a yacht-owning former race car driver, and organized by Sun Reef Yacht, a company that builds custom yachts and luxury vessels. They've got to make this up, right? You're not making this up. There's no way to make it up. I, I trust. It's got to be a spoof. Colors. It's a spoof. It's not. We have got to call not the Babylon B. We have got to call Nick and see if it's a spoof. The discussion also included, quote, a conversation about electric, hybrid, and Hydrogen propulsion, <laughs> battery technology, plant-based composites, bottom paints, modern photovoltaics, and sustainable interior finishing. The list goes on okay, and hold on. on. For a second. Give me this. Give me this for a second. I got to get this guy's name again. What's this dude's name? Nico Rosberg, a yacht-owning former race car driver. Where do you get a guy like that? <laughs> Okay, first off, first off, that guy sounds pretty cool, right? Hell yeah! And second, hang off, out with Nico. I'd party with Nico. You know, and where do you, where do you find old Nico? We got to find Nico. We got to have him on as a guest. You should definitely get him on. We got to call get him. his we picture as well. Nico, yeah. Seriously, you know Nico's good looking. All right, I have some stuff on baseball, but we're gonna defer to next week because we're about 
about it in our our hour here. So, any best and finals from our our lo our, our lovely guest Lou? Anything? All I have to say is what a privilege and honor it is to be here. Oh, we're well, uh, glad you were here. Oh, boy, been quite you know, usually people lie to us right up front, not at the back end. <laughs> I appreciate you changing it up. All right, we're gonna close. Um, you guys know the um, the Bee Gees, right? You're a big, big, a big the brothers, the brothers Bee Gees, Gibb. right? The, yes, the, the brothers, brothers Gibb, Gibb, of course. Yeah, like the Bee Gees. Okay, so President Biden uh -oh. honored, oh no, legendary Bee Gee Barry Gibb at a ceremony at the White House, and here are some of his remarks. And while I know when you think of the Bee Gees, it's an infectious beat, and the, that you hear in your own mind, but I think it's universal. It's simple. Simple human truths that the lyrics contain so often capture and grip our hearts. Lyrics like, there's a certain kind of light that never shone on me from those hopelessly in love. Or, I've kicked around since I was born about the Bay Bridge 19-year-old struck by a dead-end job is trying to stay alive. <laughs> the list goes on. The brothers bound made it all seem effortless and almost magical. They described it as, quote, we'll be walking down the street together and we'll simultaneously begin to sing the same song in the same key. God love you, brother. I tell you, that's incredible. All right, well, <laughs> what a moving tribute to the Gibbs. I'll tell you, it was something else. All right, well, that is a wrap. <laughs> Thank goodness. For the 150... <laughs> Ninth episode. Ninth episode. Of the We're gonna have that 150th podcast. anniversary party any day now. Absolutely. Say goodbye, Lou. Goodbye. <laughs> I think this podcast is a. <laughs>
I'm Lucian Polarisi, and you're listening to the Unregulated Podcast. <laughs>